Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. And boy, didn't Susie Larson just have a fantastic hour. Susie Larson Live. And Tom Brock has uh, joined me here in studio, among others. And he enjoyed some of the complimentary hors d'oeuvres that you saw on the way in. It was in. wonderful food, too, yeah. for the soul and the body, Bill. Right. Which <laughs> which you weren't supposed to eat, but that's okay. Oops. Well, that's I listened right. to her show. I know. Well, okay. For, and then, for two, then for you two can, minutes. <laughs> <laughs> then you can have some... <laughs> Crackers and cheese. <laughs> I had lots of crackers and cheese. <laughs> yeah. But this is Guy Talker, Guys Who Talk. Our power panel today is Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Pastor Justin Jepson, 007. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Hey, Bill. Hey, Tom. Hi there, Justin. Tom Parrish. <laughs> Are you there? Uh, I'm here, Bill. Fantastic. All right. Good to talk to you all. Thank you so much. So I want to start today with a passage out of James chapter 1, and this is something that, let me just read it, and I'll, I'll ask the question and you guys respond. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So when I read verse 7, it says, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That sounds kind of harsh. Would you guys maybe add some context to this passage? This is, you know, here you've got the early church, and they're learning how to walk by faith. They really don't know. It's a new process for them. And faith, it's interesting, in the New Testament, always has to have an object. And that object in the New Testament is Jesus. So really what he's saying here, if your complete trust isn't in Jesus, why do you even bother asking? I don't care how much you believe you should get it. You've got to ask the right person, and you've got to put total faith in him that he will do it. Then you'll get what you're asking for. But until that happens, nope, not going to happen. So it's interesting, and I don't see it any different today. You know, it's, I have people say to me as a pastor, if I only had more faith, and I keep mm-hmm. telling them, that's not the point. It's not how much faith you have. It's where you put that yeah. faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Tom. You know, especially the James here writing to early Christians that are experiencing extreme persecution and, um, you know, his, his exhortation here for them to count it joy um, and to recognize that this trial and testiness of their faith is, is producing character. Um, but when you're in the middle of that, it's really difficult to discern what to do, what not to do, and how to move forward and how to really live out God's truth. And so um, I, I think that in midst of difficulty, it's easy to doubt, to be sure. And I think the Bible itself, you know, we look at, you know, examples, you know, of, of the, the disciples doubting, right? You know, at the, you know, the resurrected Christ right before the Great Commission, it says they worshiped him and some doubted. And we see, you know, Thomas, yeah. of course, was, you know, <laughs> the one that kind of becomes front and center, but this was true of other disciples as well. And so I think doubt has a place in our role of faith. But I think here, you know, James, what James is getting at here in the context is don't let doubt replace 
your faith or eclipse your faith. I mean, Jesus said, you just need to have faith the size of a mustard seed, and, you, and that, is, that is sufficient to move mountains. And to Tom's point, it's not the size of your faith, the strength of your faith. It's the object of your faith is what we put yeah. our confidence in. And so it really just takes a little bit of faith to be the steadfast anchor for our soul in the midst of difficulty and, and, and hardship. And I, I find that first bill that you mentioned that don't be double-minded because uh, you shouldn't expect anything if you're going to be dumb. I think that's a, that verse um, convicts me because <laughs> I'm often mm-hmm. double-minded. Mm-hmm. And so I think one reason that's in the Bible is to remind ourselves, look, and I don't think it means you got to believe with all your heart God's going to heal you, then you're going to get healed. That, I don't think that's what it's talking about. I think it's I think it's talking about when you ask in faith, God always answers your prayer, uh, but sometimes His answer is no. And I I talked with someone recently who is of this belief that I just am claiming my healing, my physical healing, mm-hmm. that the cancer is gone. And I know a lot of Christians do that, and I I just don't know that we can do that. You know, it says, now, when Elisha became ill of the illness of which he was to die, and he died of an illness, nothing was wrong with his faith. You know, he raised people from the dead. So I, I think double-mindedness, when, when I read that verse, I, it kind of makes me feel guilty because that can often be double-minded. But I think it's in there to remind us, look, we're going to believe God's answering all of our prayers in his time, in his way, and sometimes his answer is no. But faith means trusting God is the one in control, answering prayers in his time, in his way. Sure. Sure. Hmm. Well, there's good doubt and there's bad doubt. The bad doubt is when you don't do anything about it, when you you just, well, nothing can happen. Why should I even try? Good Hmm. doubt is when you say, I'm human, I have mixed emotions, but I'm going to turn fully to Jesus and his word, and I'm going to let that guide me and direct me and even redirect my prayers. Think about what happens, guys, if we actually do that. I mean, I would love a whole church of people that actually would do that on a regular basis. Hmm. I have yeah. I have heard people, though, take that verse and say, I can't be double-minded, so I'm going to have no room in my mind that's going to have a waiver of doubt because God is going to heal me, and I am not going to allow any waiver. And, now, then they, and then they died of cancer. Un- unfortunately, yeah. That it, can happen. It does happen, but I'm just saying, how do you process their desire, their intent, their mm-hmm. commitment to want to be biblical and sure. put that before the Lord and into his hands and believe the way they believe? I, you know, I remember you reminding me of a lady I visited in the hospital who went to a kind of church that taught that, you know, name it and claim it, believe, and you're going to be healed. She was crumpled over in her hospital bed, but, but pastor, I know the Lord's going to heal me. And, and then she died. And it's kind of like, shouldn't we as Christians more than any other people on the planet be able to look death in the eye and say, okay, Lord, if this is your will, I'm ready to go. Mm -hmm. But we've got some churches teach that, no, you've got to claim you're going to be healed. And if you don't, you're sinning because you, I don't see anything in the Bible that promises me Mm -hmm. eternal life on earth. Hmm. Well, and here's the sad part. When my mother-in-law was dying many years ago, she was in a church, biblical church, but they were very much name in the climate. Everybody kept coming to the hospital. She had severe cancer. Kept coming to the hospital and saying, B, you don't have enough faith. Beatrice, we just had more Ouch. faith to be healed. And you know what happened? They all abandoned her the last week. Nobody came. The pastor didn't come. Church members didn't come. Nobody showed up. And I was privileged to be there with, when she died, and she is the one that I first— 
talked to who saw Jesus on her deathbed and spoke mm-hmm. to him. And it changed my ministry and life from that moment on. And I could go ahead, Justin. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I really appreciate that. I think the direction of the tension between doubt and faith being directed towards something like physical healing, um, I think as a, as a principle can be applied there. But I think, you know, maybe just to, for a second, remind, uh, for me, I'm just being reminded, going back to the context here of, of faith and doubt, um, you know, within the context of trial, tribulation, and persecution. You know, I, I think like when Peter talks about, you know, when, when you come under the fiery trial, don't, don't, act, don't be surprised that something strange is happening to you. You know, right? He's, he's yeah. saying like this, this is actually a part and parcel of being an obedient follower of, of Jesus. If, you know, the world hated me, the world's going to hate you. So I think, I think part of what James is trying to encourage his listeners in, to your point, Tom, yes, to, to bring a convicting exhortation. Um, but I think he's saying, have no doubt in your mind that the trial that you're going through, that God is with you in it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when you ask for wisdom in the midst of, the, of that trial, um, if you're doubting, thinking, oh, maybe I'm in this because I, you know, of my own sin, which is, can happen for sure. We, we, we put putting a lot of suffering on ourselves because of our own disobedience, but I think the context here is really important to help shape and give the framework of that tension between doubt and faith of recognizing that we can have a, cer- a certainty in the midst of difficulty that God is with us and he's producing good for us and he's uh, cultivating a deeper and more authentic Christ-like character within that. And so, and I think it's, last, lastly, it's just, I think it's important to keep in mind that I think there are, there are degrees of doubt and there are degrees of faith. And mm-hmm. so I think that it's not that you don't have no doubt, but it's just more that the degree of your faith, again, you're holding that intention that at the end of the day, even if you have just a little <laughs> and you're only certain about very little, you can cling and hold on to that, even though you might doubt about much about your circumstances. Here's an impromptu poll. Are we missing Peter today? Poll of us or the studio audience? No, poll of us. I miss him. I oh, miss him too. I, him I texted him. He, he ghosted me. I don't know where he is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where he is either, but he said he couldn't make He's it He's a today. good talker. He's a really good talker. He talks in oh, yeah. paragraphs or pages. He does. I talk in half sentences. <laughs> and when he starts talking, he'll talk like a page worth of something. Yes, he does. And without having any ums or ahs or anything. Yeah. He's brilliant. He's very good. He's yeah. a professor. Well, that's mm-hmm. what I hear. Wow. I've never sat in on one of his classes. <laughs> I haven't either. Maybe I should. Maybe we should. I think Let's that's put a our hands good up in the back idea. Row just wreck good the idea. whole class. Bring those fog horns, <laughs> set those things off. I think it'd be kind of fun. Spitwads. All right. Well, we want your questions. Let me know what you have to ask uh, our power panel today, 877-933-2484. Next, I want to hear what you have that you'd like to ask. Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson. But before... We do that. I know Rosie's got a little announcement about Set Apart Conference coming up in March. I love this time of year because Set Apart is about to happen March 4th and 5th. Bill, do you know it's the 40th year that people, women have been gathering for Friday and Saturday to learn about the Lord? That's amazing. It is amazing. Uh, And this year, our keynote speakers are our very own Susie Larson and Rebecca Lyons. Uh, Featured speakers are Carmen and Nina um, Barnes here from the university, and then a ton of workshops. So if you are interested in sitting with the Lord and learning about how he sustains you through some amazing teaching, and you just need a little time to be set apart, 
go to setapartconference.com and register today. You can be you can attend either just on Friday or Saturday or both days. It's great. Fantastic. So next up, your questions, let me know what they are. 877-933-2484. Thursdays, this is what we do, first hour, Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk, and they're pretty impressive power panel. Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson. Any question you want to send my way, I will ask on your behalf. You can remain anonymous, of course. So we were talking about that passage in James chapter 1 about being a double-minded man. I just wanted to jump to the last chapter of James where it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Mm-hmm. We're hearing about double-mindedness again mm-hmm. at the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm. So but you notice the context is a relationship. What are we supposed to do with God? Come near to Him. Well, how do you come near to God? That's a great question, Tom Parrish. I'd like you to expound on that. Well, basically what we're talking about here is that we don't do a good job coming near to God, but He did a very good job coming near to us in Jesus. And because he's come so close and now planted the Holy Spirit with us, all he's asking us to do is, you know, come near is a good term, or recognize him, call on his name, and everything we do. Mm-hmm. And it, and no matter what happens, we know he has our best interest in heart. No matter what happens, whether we live or die, we know that we're going to be with him forever. And I think that it is that relationship that's so key. And that's what Jesus said in John seventeen three. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's the hard part. And if we get that straight, you know, then I can deal and bear about anything in this life, because I know Jesus will have the final answer. Thank you, Tom Parrish. Yeah. Justin? Yeah, I think think that's a good word. I I was also just reflecting at the end of chapter 3, you know, James is talking about wisdom again. You know, and he says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And then he goes on to talk about, but if you have bitter, uh, bitterness and jealousy, selfish ambition, um, this this is not the wisdom that comes from above. And and I think he's he's here he's contrasting this idea of heavenly earthly wisdom with um, with a selfish uh, focus of prayer and a God focused of prayer uh, focus in prayer. You know, and he goes on at the beginning of verse. Or the first couple of verses of chapter four that you do not have because you do not ask. And he says you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And so I think when we ask for wisdom and we're asking God for for what what to do, um, I mean James is he again the convicting word of just you know the word of God cutting down to the very heart of the matter of exposing our you know, to Tom's point too, so often convicted of the double-mindedness or the mixed motives that we do have. Um, so I think that's why there's the strong word of submitting to God, of humbling ourselves. And, and, and again, drawing near, I think drawing near is recognizing that Tom's point, God has already initiated that. And so we respond um, by coming humbly. 
and and in that we experience that that intimacy and that growth of relationship. Um, and so, I, I, again, I think that this is such a, a strong word, especially for Christians that originally in this context were were being persecuted for their faith. Um, and and I think it's a it's a strong word for us that in really in the prosperity and the ease that we experience here in the West or North America, um, that we need this this word of warning and this exhortation of, of humility and to to ask with pure motives of heart. Nicely stated, Justin. You know, it's a good word. Go ahead, Tom. Well, I'm just thinking, how do you draw near to God? And right before it says draw near to God, it says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Part of drawing near to God is resisting the devil. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking I'm thinking of an older man that I was talking to, and, you know, I, I, I fell into pornography this week, and, and I repented, and uh, and I've asked for forgiveness. I said, good, and you got rid of the pornography, didn't you? Oh, no, it'd be too expensive to get rid of it and keep buying it. I said, wait a minute, that's not repentance. You have to throw that stuff away. Some, you can't draw near to God if you're clinging to sin. Mm-hmm. And so I think the easy way, well, not easy, but... The the how do you draw near to God? Number one, you resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then how do I draw near to God? Regular prayer, Bible reading, Christian fellowship, weekly, regularly Christian fellowship, taking communion. Jesus said, Do this in in memory of me, so I should regularly take communion and and fellowship, prayer, communion, scripture, that'll get you close to God. Excellent. Thank mm-hmm. you, Tom Brock. All right, here's a question. I constantly hear that we are supposed to give everything up to God. How does one succeed at doing that? And how does one know what God's will is for their life? How do you learn to hear God's direction for you? What if you don't hear God when you pray? Lots of questions in there, but they're all good. Let's start with the first one. I hear that we are supposed to give everything up to God. How does one succeed at doing that? Hmm. I like the last question. I'll do the last one. Okay. <laughs> well, now, let's go back to the first question, um, giving up uh, to the Lord. Uh, how do we do that? It's it's a struggle because everything inside of me wants to, to give up to me, and I want it my way, and I want to do it my way. I think one of the mistakes we made in Christianity, and I'm not critical of anybody, but we did a very good job over the last 75 years of evangelizing people to receive Jesus's, you know, Savior. We have not done a good job discipling them, and discipling means it isn't just studying the text and just, you know, memorizing Scripture verses. It means from that text and from what we know about Jesus, my goal in life now is to have my thoughts to be Jesus' thoughts, my behavior to be like Jesus' behavior, you know, my response to be like his response, so that in everything I do, I keep giving back over to him what it should be and trying to be like him in the way I respond. And that's a lifestyle, and that's a lifelong process. And so we're all going to have our up and down. But too often, we receive Jesus as Savior, but then we go back and live the same old way. And that's not the goal of the Christian life, nor the goal of discipleship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a one and done, for sure, to Tom's point. You know, for constantly to give everything over to God, um, this idea of submitting to Him and surrendering to Him um, <laughs> It needs to happen. Uh, I mean, not not only on the daily, but on the on the hourly. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. multiple multiple times. And so I think it's, you know, um, you know, James one says every good and perfect gift comes down from, mm-hmm. from the Father above. You know, with whom there's no shadow or variation due to change. And so, 
And again, it's not only thanking God and recognizing the good things that you have and the gifts um, aren't just for you, but God intends to do something, uh, namely bless others through you by what he entrusts to you as a steward. And so so I think it's recognizing that I don't have anything to give that, that God doesn't already own, and that changes the way that we think about our time, our, our resources, our finances, um, gifts, skills, abilities that, that God has given to us. Um, and I, I would also say, too, I think, you know, we can so often overly individualize this. Um, do, this is really, I think, what helps put this in the context is being connected to community and being connected to yeah. Uh, to the church, right? And uh, so part of me surrendering and giving up everything to God means the way that I'm generous towards other people um, with my time, my resources, my finances, um, gift skills. And, and and I think to the listener's question as well about, can you repeat it, Bill? It was something about being in God's Word and not hearing His voice when he One of the pray? questions was, uh, how does one know what God's will is for their life, sure. and how do you learn to hear God's direction for you? What if you don't yeah. hear God when you pray? I'll answer that one. Yeah. All right, Tom Brock, go ahead. Well, here's here's the thing. I don't hear God's voice when I pray. I mean, I pray, and then sometimes, okay, Lord, if there's anything you want to say, and I'll be quiet, I I almost never get anything. And now, you, now and then I'll get, like, a, somebody will come to mind, and I'll pray for them, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't hear voices from heaven. And when somebody says, I mean, there are Christians who, if they don't have spiritual goosebumps regularly, they think the Lord has left. And my response is 98% of what God wants to say to you, he's already said. Mm -hmm. It's in Scripture. Mm -hmm. I praise God for the 2% when he does something that shows me he's there. You know, some coincidence obviously isn't a coincidence. I do believe God still gives us dreams and prophets and that kind of thing. But I get nervous when people are having words from the Lord all the time. Because I don't think it's very common. And often their words from the Lord sound exactly like their own opinions, you know. So I, I, uh, I, don't, I don't think when we hear God does communicate with us uh, through Scripture mainly and through other ways that we've talked about. So I'm not denying that he talks to us, but I don't hear the voice of God when I pray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think it's important um, to Tom's point, too, of, you know, I hear that it's you know, the listener, I think, very much is, is asking the the very what topic of prayer that we've been talking about, this idea of wisdom, <laughs> what, what to do, you know, and uh, um, and how to hear from God. And I think that's why it's so important um, to be saturating in the Word of God, to be storing it up, hiding in your heart. Not only does it keep us from sin, but it also it, it, it grows within us an attentiveness to the promptings of the Holy Spirit when when they come, you mm-hmm. know, and I, I think, uh, uh, I think it was Pastor Mark Batterson who once put it this way, that don't expect a word from God if you're not in the word of God. Amen. Yeah. I like so, that. So um, the scripture confirm it and do other, other Christians affirm it. So again, being in the community, um, and then it's taking a step of faith, delighting in the Lord, mm-hmm. All recognizing right. those desires will be brought forth. Let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Coming up a lot more. Just a minute.
to wait for the horn. I shouldn't say horns. There's only one horn. Mm, yeah, like keep, keep playing. No, it's not. It's Chuck Mangione. Oh, is it? Yeah. Uh, I love That's, it. That song is The Children of Sanchez. Oh. It's a 13-minute song. Fantastic, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So I digress a little. Yes, Welcome to do. Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Great questions coming in, and let me know what your question is. 877-933-2484 is the text line. Here's a question. How often should people have communion? Some churches offer it every week, some once a month, and now with COVID, it's really sporadic. That's question one. Well, I got an answer for that. Uh, I'm not surprised. Then you, you go to someone else and I'll do it last. <laughs> no, you go first well, okay. and then we'll let other you people know, clean I, it up. There's no verse that says you have to have communion every week or every day. There's no verse telling us how often. Right. But it does say in the book of Acts that they broke the bread uh, you know, on the first day of the week, Sunday. And it looks like that was their norm. Mm-hmm. So it, it seems to me, and this is iffy, that they took communion probably about every week. Okay. Um, you don't have to. It never, but you know what? Some Presbyterian churches take it three times a year. I think that's kind of off. Jesus said, as often as you do this, drink, do this in remembrance of me. And so I think I love taking communion. Holiest year of my life was when I was at a vicar at Valparaiso University. I took communion twice a week. Mm-hmm. It did something to me. So there you go. Tom Parrish, yeah, Justin, think, either? Well, I just just to affirm, I think the Bible is is gives us the principle that we should practice it with regularity and to have a consistent rhythm. And, um, you know, to Tom's point, I think it's three times a year that might be um, you know, difficult to keep that really front and center. Um, and and I think that I really appreciate you know, the church that my wife and I go to. It, it is a weekly um, aspect of response um, at, the, at, the, at the conclusion of the sermon or the service. And it's really, you know, meant to be kind of a centerpiece of the service. And I really appreciated that. You know, I, I remember um, just the, how meaningful it is and yet how simple and how profound this, this act of remembrance is when the pandemic hit. My wife and I um, and our family, we had gone to church. We were doing vir- virtual, you know, um, and we just realized it had been like a, a long time. I don't remember how long, but it had been a long time since we were at a virtual church service that had communion. And I remember I literally, <laughs> as the pastor was setting it up, I went and found some juice found like a stale cracker from my kid that dropped like, you know, whatever. And my wife and I had communion on the couch and I Hmm. I can't tell you, it was so meaningful and the presence of God in that moment. And, and I just thought, wow, I, I didn't realize how much I missed this because it had, it had been probably a couple of months or even longer since um, I had participated in communion. So I think it's really important to, to do it with regularity and, um, you know, I think my pastoral recommendation, you know, would be at, at the very least once a month, if not more. I'm in agreement. I think that we need to settle in our own hearts because there is no prescriptive that's definitive in Scripture. However, there is great benefit to, you know, Holy Communion. And in the context of the Christian community, I think it's an incredibly powerful thing to do. We need to do that more uh, thoughtfully and uh, do it biblically, and do it together. And I think the other thing we missed that the other church had is we don't have very many fellowship meals in that sense, or, you know, the agape meals. We may have potlucks and things like that, 
but to really come together, to have a dinner, to worship together, to talk together about Jesus and receive communion. Uh, most churches are lucky if they do that once a year on Monday, Thursday, mm-hmm. where I would like to see us do that much more often. And I think it's very powerful to do that. I've done it, I love it, and it, it was life-changing. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's another question. Is there a difference between understanding 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, tells us what God's will is, but then people always ask what God's will is for them? And, of course, that verse in First Thess is, Rejoice always, pray continually, give mm-hmm. thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. So there's, what's the difference between understanding that passage and then when people say, but what's God's will for me? Well, I, I like one. to, yeah, that's a really good question. And just to jump in real quickly here, um, and I'm sure the Toms have something uh, more profound to expound upon this, but um, I think this is where if we are faithful to obey what God clearly reveals us as will for all believers in Scripture— I believe he will then establish a path of clarity for the specific or maybe individual will for the particular Christian. Because if you think about it, what would happen um, in our relationship with the Lord if we rejoiced always, if we prayed without ceasing, and if we gave thanks in all circumstances? That would bring us into a deeper place of intimacy uh, with the Lord, where we'd have a, a greater understanding of what's on his heart and that builds within us the character then to receive a direction and a specific maybe word of guidance from the Lord that we'll be able to steward it faithfully. And so I think the difference is um, obey what God clearly reveals in his will for all Christians, and then that'll position you to receive specifically what his will is for you pertaining to, again, should should you make that move or not? Should you marry this person or not? Should you go to that college or not? Should you take that job or not? Um, that, that God will guide you with peace and wisdom. I like that. I like it too. Not a lot to add, but the word, let me add this to it. The word pretty much prescribes his will in almost anything we get into in terms of relationships, in terms of behavior. Now, if if it is my will, if it, you know, I want to know, is it God's will if I become, you know, a, a street drug dealer? That's an automatic no, because we know what it does to people. And the Word of God, you know, talks about you don't harm your neighbor. You love your neighbor. You take care of them. Well, I've had the same thing. I've had people come to me and say, is this the right woman I should marry? And I say, what does the Word of God say? Well, it says she should be a Christian. How is she doing? She loves Jesus. Is, is she kind? You know, what, what are the characteristics? And finally, when we get through that, it's very easy to say, now the choice is really yours. Yeah. I don't think the Lord's going to object, but you've already met the criteria. Now work on the criteria and trust Jesus to move forward. And fortunately, I'll tell you guys, in those marriages, they're all still together. Hmm. All right, here's an interesting question. I love this one. Do you think we misnamed Doubting Thomas? Thomas didn't doubt Jesus. He was willing to die with him in Jerusalem. He doubted his fellow disciples, many of which had betrayed Christ. If we look at how Jesus responded to Thomas, he gave Thomas what he admitted he needed to believe and told uh, him to others would be blessed that they that didn't need to see him. Isn't it a better title for Thomas, Honest Thomas? He admitted that he didn't believe mm-hmm. and confessed what he thought he needed to believe. He also uh, He also sent on to... 
Disciple Asia. As of Thomas myself, Bill, I do think there is a rebuke. Jesus does give a rebuke to Thomas, and he says, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who believe who have not seen. Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't think he was... Jesus did give a a little rebuke to Thomas. And I think the point of that passage is you don't have to have the evidence all the time. Trust God. Trust. You know, Jesus had predicted three times before he was killed that he was coming back from the dead. Mm -hmm. So even the apostles didn't understand it. Three times he told he predicted his resurrection. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I, I'm sure Thomas has greater faith than I do, but there's still a little rebuke there going on. Well, Jesus says in Revelations three, I, I, I rebuke and punish all whom I love. Mm-hmm. Be in earnest then and turn from your sin. Amen. Yeah. So I'm okay with a little rebuke. Tom, Thomas is a good representative of all of us. I mean, you tell me which one of the disciples or the women after Jesus rose from the dead didn't start with doubt. Even Mary in the garden, I know, you're thinking he's the gardener. Where have you taken his body? Even though he had told them he'd rise from the dead. So we can talk about doubting Mary. We can talk about doubting Peter. We can talk about doubting Thomas. It fits all of them, and quite frankly, it fits me. It is by his grace that I've come to believe. And that's what happened to the disciples. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I think, well, I was say, I mean, I think that, you know, doubting Thomas, again, we, we've we have assigned that obviously that's obviously not in scripture but i mean there's a case that i mean you could put a title <laughs> on any uh any disciple that i think would be a descriptor of things that that we all struggle with when following jesus i mean we could call peter prideful peter you know we could call sarcastic simon greedy judas we could call, right i mean there's just something that you could go down the line um you know and and, and put this title over the disciples based upon, you know, their behavior that doesn't seem to line up mm-hmm. with, um, you know, with, 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 with what, what God's design is for us. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I don't like to refer to Thomas as doubting Thomas um, necessarily, but did he doubt? Yeah. But so the, the Tom's points to like, so did the other disciples. <laughs> so do I. Mm-hmm. And so I think we just got to you know, maybe be more equitable <laughs> in uh, uh, distributing that title of doubt um, upon other disciples as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you, My Jealous Justin. Of thunder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sons of Thunder. thunder. I fit right in. <laughs> One of the things I love about Guy Talk is, A, we love each other. B, we don't always agree with each other, which is A-OK, but we're right. always respectful. And C, they mm-hmm. should agree with me. Well... Whatever, Tom. No? Yeah. <laughs> no, there's another word, Tom. We put up with. No, we're not. Uh, we yeah. love you. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that's a good model for discourse yeah. today, where we can yeah, sure. we can talk about biblical things and disagree on things. Yeah, we can talk about on, on the little things. We can disagree on the big on the, stuff. Big we better stuff. Agree. We better be in agreement on, Amen. on stuff. But the little mm-hmm. stuff we can mm-hmm. we can mm-hmm. pick apart. This one may be an example of that. Uh, this is a question. I'm wondering if the Bible speaks against. Getting a tattoo? Do you think a Christian tattoo, like a Bible verse, could be a good witness tool? There is a verse in Leviticus that speaks against getting tattoos. Mm-hmm. I, uh, we've talked about this before, but just quickly, if that means like we have modern tattoos, then yeah, I should not get a tattoo. The problem is, are they talking about a tattoo that is like the pagan Egyptians maybe had, which had to mm-hmm. do with idolatry or? are uh, cutting themselves for for idolatrous purposes and that kind of thing. So uh, some of this is a little murky. Mm-hmm. 
Personally, mm-hmm. I wouldn't get one because it is murky, so why not just stay away from sure. it? So that's my humble opinion. Sure. Yeah, I think this falls into what, you know, the kind of the biblical category of the audiophora or the matters of indifference, right? Um, you know, I think it's sometimes difficult to discern what Old Testament law would still be applicable today. And this is probably too clean cut, but I think, you know, as it pertains to God's you know, moral character or what we see repeated in the New Testament. Um, you know, for example, we, you know, how many of us are wearing clothes that have two different types of material? You know, all the poly cotton blends would have to go, you know, <laughs> we can't, you know, in terms of how we dress and, and different things like that. But I, I think this, to me, would fall into that category. And I, I think that if I believe right, if I remember correctly, the context there in Leviticus is, um, again, God is getting his people ready uh, to receive the promised land, and he is consecrating them and creating a distinct difference between them and the people of the land. And so I think it, it does boil down to recognizing that particular time and culture in the context of that command that's given, but also recognizing the, the motive behind why maybe a follower of Jesus today would want to get a tattoo. And uh, if it's, and again, the original context of Leviticus, it's recognizing the way that the people were doing it across the land was, was as an act of worship to a pagan deity. And so can a Christian appropriate that for themselves, but redeem it in the sense of, I'm going to do this as an act of worship to my creator. Um, so I think it's totally legitimate. Um, but me personally, I, I almost gotten a tattoo several different times. And part of it came up to this indecisiveness of what to get it and what to put you know, on my body and wear. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going <laughs> to keep it clean and, and, uh, and I'm not going to do it. So I first have chosen not to, but I don't think it's a sin um, for others to do that. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. surprised that you said that, Justin. I appreciate it because I didn't think that you would put a tattoo on that 007 body of yours. <laughs> but thank you for it. Well, if I did, I wouldn't tell you. Oh, of course not. Of course <laughs> All not. All right. Yeah. 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 So I don't know if you I listen. Go one ahead, thing Tom, help Tom parents, Bill. Yeah, one thing that may help parents is they get trapped in this with their kids. The kids come home and say, hey, my friend's got tattoos. I want to get one, too. Then a fight breaks out, especially among in a Christian setting. There may be a fight. And I've been trained to teach parents for years. Look, find a, a nice artist that can draw the tattoo your son or daughter wants and tell them, hang it on your wall in your bedroom, and I want you to look at it every day for the next six months. And at the end of six months, you're convinced you want it, and you're convinced Jesus wants it for you, I'll pay for it. Mm. Wow. I tell you, I'll tell you right now, not a single one of those kids that I've talked about that way have ever gotten a tattoo. Wow. Because <laughs> after a short period of time looking at it every day, they, they one student usually said, glad you talked to my parents. That was the stupidest thing I could have ever done. Mm. But when you rush in and get it done, hey, what are you going to do now? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's there. Yep. And so much better if you can avoid it. All right. I don't know if you listen to Faith Radio on the app, but if you don't, I encourage you to get it. And you can go to your favorite store, whether it's on Apple or on Google, and you can download myfaithradio.com and you can listen to it right on your smartphone. And you turn it on, and boy, there it all is, as well as podcasts of shows from like today will be available right on the app. So. Keep your questions coming, 877-933-2484. My power panel today is Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson.
pals today. I love this day. Hanging with my pals, Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson. We miss Peter Kaffner today, but we are doing just A-OK without him today. So a great question that's come in. Peter and I have been working on an Old Testament series, so we've been doing that on Wednesdays at 5, and if you've missed that, I think you've missed a lot because it's been great. We talked... um, about all kinds of different people from the Old Testament. We're going to continue this for a long time. But the question that came in is, spent most of my life reading the New Testament, now reading the Old Testament, I find the Old Testament difficult. I skim the parts about the cubits, the colors of the cloth, the animal sacrifices, etc. Is this wrong? What am I supposed to glean from these types of passages? <laughs> That's really good because I, I read the Bible, study the Bible, but I also lay on my bed in the middle of the night if I can't sleep, and I listen to oh, the I know Bible. you do. And mm-hmm. if, you, if you're heading into uh, certain parts of um, Numbers <laughs> or uh, Leviticus, I still s- lay there and listen to it. And what exactly does all some of this? Why did they go into such extreme detail about the building of the tabernacle, the um, food laws? So some of this I don't quite know, but it, it does alert me to the fact that the the Bible is not written just for me. It was also written for ancient Israel. Yeah. And God had a purpose for it then, and so I should read it and hear it. And we got to remember, not everything in the Old Testament is binding on Christians. You know, we don't have to kill lambs every time we sin. We don't have to uh, forbid ourselves from having pork, because in Mark 7, Jesus declared all foods clean. So the ceremonial and the food laws... And the sacrificial laws that you see in the Old Testament, we are free. We don't need to keep them. Christ has fulfilled them for us. So know that as you listen to all that. But I still listen to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and there's nothing wrong with it in that sense. But again, keep it in its context and understand that, you know, we're seeing, you know, Adonai, Yahweh in the Old Testament, the I, great I am, in these verses saying this is perfection. This is the perfection I want for the temple and the tabernacle and for this and that. But when Jesus came, he fulfilled what the Old Testament was talking about in himself. Mm. And he is that perfection. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's you have this, between the old and the new, you really have one person that really boils this all down to what it is, and that's Jesus. Because I love what he says on the road to Emmaus, you know, or he said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, thinking that of them you have eternal life, when it is they. And all he had was the Old Testament at that point, when they speak of me. So it said a lot about Jesus. We just didn't recognize it, and we still struggle with mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate that question. And and I think a, um, a phrase that I often think of in terms of how to read the Bible, and Tom already kind of alluded to this, is this idea of zooming in and zooming out. And so as you're yeah. zooming in on a particular passage that is going through a list of names, um, you know, maybe it's a genealogy or maybe it's, you know, listing out the armies and the census and all stuff, you know, take time to zoom out. And, uh, and, and by doing that, one of the practical ways I think that can be really helpful is before you read a book of the Bible, read a good, a really good introduction or overview of the book that kind of helps you see the forest through the trees. And mm-hmm. uh, I know a resource that we've talked about before on the, on the show here is, you know, the Bible project, they even have a great video that, draws and lays stuff out, lays things out for you that you can kind of see what are the main themes of that book. And then I think it's important too, when you're reading scripture, um, get yourself a plan that has you in the old and new Testament at the same time. Cause what you're, what you're going to find is that over time, you're going to see how all of this begins to piece together 
and how Jesus indeed is the centerpiece and the fulfillment of all of Scripture. And then um, a a verse that I always keep in mind when I'm in a moment where I'm totally losing track, I'm like, why am I reading this? Why is this even in here? (laughs) Is is 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture. All scripture is breathed out for God and by God and profitable for teaching, for for uh, for correct for correct for reproof for correction and training in righteousness. So I ask myself that question, Lord, what are you trying to teach me here? Is there something that you want to reprove here? Is there something you need to call out? Is there sin? Do you is there something that you want to to um, correct me on here? Is there a way that you're seeking to train me? here in the area of righteousness. And so sometimes the simple is reading Leviticus. And my thought is, my goodness, Lord, I'm so grateful that I don't have to do this. Amen. <laughs> Amen. It's been fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. yeah great, wow. great point, Justin. You know, so I think that those are just some of the practical um, things that have been helpful for yeah. me. So I think we're going to... Spoken s- like a pastor. I yeah. Speaking of, I started this Old Testament theme and another um, question just came in. A pastor friend loves the Bible. However, he recently cautioned me about making doctrine out of Old Testament passages until I examine what Jesus said about this in the New Testament. Is this true, and why is this so important? I'd have to hear specifically what he's talking about. If the pastor meant what we just said, that Mm -hmm. some of the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Christ, and I don't have to kill a lamb if I sin. If that's what he meant, fine. Um, But I think... You know, the, there was an ancient heretic by the name of Martian who claimed that because we're Christians now, we can throw away the Old Testament. The early church right. condemned him because mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Jesus is in the Old Testament. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the Old Testament God is the same as the New Testament God. So you want both Testaments. you got to read not just the New Testament. you got to read the Old Testament or you won't understand the New Testament. So right. there True. you go. But, but the question, the question didn't say that, Tom. I'm listening to it. The question is, what is Jesus? What would what does Jesus do with it in the New Testament? And the problem I see is I, I see evangelical Christians all the time trying to make doctrine out of the Old Testament, ignoring the New Testament. And there are many pastors who do that as well. And they love to preach forever on the Old Testament. Rarely do they bring up the New. All I think the question is asking is, how do we balance the two out? How do we make sure that we're not making a teaching out of the Old Testament? that Jesus is already overturned in the New Testament? Or how do we make that balance? And I don't think that most pastors I know, I'll be blunt, I'm a pastor, don't do a very good job of explaining that. And so most lay mm-hmm. people are confused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think too, I mean, you have to have the, the Old Testament to have biblical doctrine. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, right, to be faithful, right? You, you have to, you need the whole thing, you need the whole book, you need the whole canon. And so... Um, but I think when you're making doctrine that's maybe exclusive to the Old Testament, I think, yeah, that's when you need to be careful. It's, it's a both and, not an either or. Um, yeah. And the same would go for the, old, for the New Testament. I mean, you think of how many, so how many thousands of times the New Testament quotes the Old Testament directly. Um, yeah. you know, and the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament is, is the Psalms, just above Isaiah. And uh, and so um, we 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 need to have both. And so I think that the balance yeah. comes from um, examining both testaments and recognizing that it's all one story. Good point. Excellent. All right. I think that's all the time we have for today, gentlemen. You've been uh, a delight once again to be thank with. Thank you, Bill. 
You think I? Would love it. Yeah, you think I make that up? I'm not making that up. You're not gonna make it that up. I don't make it that up. No, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm going to go have a pizzaroni pizza. You should bill. go have some pizza, some pizzaroni, you know. <laughs> so, on behalf of uh, Guy Talk, thank you so much for your great questions. We love having them, and you can always send them over at any time. You don't have to send them during this hour. You can send them uh, at 11 o'clock on Tuesday night if you want, and we will put them in a nice folder, and we will ask the panel whenever we meet again, which will, according to my schedule, is next Thursday. All right, we'll take a a short break as we get ready for our next guest. Professor Ken Samples is going to be joining us, and we're going to talk about some brain lesions that he had and what he learned from them and how amazing the brain is. That's all next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.